Hello, everyone. Today is the 29th of April, and I'm joined remotely, of course, by Sheldon MacDonald, Nathan Sweeney, Jen Corston, Asim Kadri, Alex Byrne, and Mayank Markende. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought economic activity around the globe to its knees, with clear negative consequences for corporate profitability. Nonetheless, risk assets have rallied sharply. Today, our panel will discuss whether markets are looking beyond the current recession to better times ahead, or simply leaning heavily on central bank support. Sheldon, could you please set the context for us with regard to market performance over this lockdown period? Thanks, Lorna. Yes, if we can bear reminding, it's been uh, quite a dramatic period in markets. Let's go right back to the beginning. Uh, By mid-March, markets were down sharply. Equity markets at that point had lost about a third of their value. At that point, government bonds were probably up somewhere around 10% or so. Uh, the VIX index, the fear gauge, uh, because it measures the price of, uh, of protection of insurance in, in markets, had spiked up to 83, a record high, uh, even higher than we saw in the, the great financial crisis 10 years ago. Since then, things have settled somewhat, as you indicated, and markets have rallied. Equity markets uh, here in the UK for the year to date are now only down only down about 22%. Uh, the same is the case in Europe. So we have seen about a 10-12% rally in equity markets. Government bonds have given back some of the uh, the gains that they made early on uh, but are still up uh, between 5 and 10%. The VIX index has settled down to around 33, remember down from 83 all the way down to 33 still quite elevated versus the levels that we were used to um, for the last uh, several years or so. The oil price, of course, has also been pretty dramatic. Uh, It started the year above $90 per barrel. It's now down somewhere below 20. And we will all have seen the headlines about negative oil prices uh, last week. Uh, The gold price has also been slightly positive, and that's up from just over $1,500 an ounce up to about $1,700 an ounce. So Quite big swings, a lot of volatility, but as you said, in the last couple of weeks, uh, a return to some slightly risk-on behaviour. Thank you, Sheldon. We'll come on to discuss the prospects for a broad-based global recovery, but before we do, let's look at China, the first country to lock down their population and their economy, and the first to come out of it. Asim, could you pinpoint any evidence of recovery in China in recent weeks? Sure. So we've had a number of pieces of Chinese economic data released over the past couple of weeks, illustrating firstly the considerable initial negative shock to the economy in Q1, but also indicating the gradual recovery and normalization of activity, particularly on the supply side. So firstly, Q1 economic growth figures for China were released two weeks ago, and as expected, they came in at a record low. So GDP was down 6.8% year on year, on the back of the disruption of the Chinese economy in January and February, amid the restrictive restrictive measures that have been taken by the Chinese government to deal with COVID-19. However, as you mentioned, what is more important at this stage is how China is recovering from the initial hit to the economy. And the data that was released for March across a number of economic indicators shows that there has been a noticeable rebound in economic activity, reflecting the easing of those control measures as well as the further actions the Chinese government has taken to support the economy. So it's clear that firstly, that the supply side of the economy, i.e. production, has recovered and normalized to a greater extent than demand. Industrial production figures that were released for March were only 1% below the levels seen in March last year, i.e. what would be classified as normal levels. 
and that reflects that factories in China are back up and running. And this normalization and production will continue this quarter amid the ongoing policy support of factory work resumption. But despite these signs of improvement, which are fairly broad-based, the People's Bank of China is still looking to boost liquidity with interest rate cuts. Yes, that's right. Throughout this crisis, the People's Bank of China, as you mentioned, have provided ample monetary support through interest rate cuts and liquidity injections in order to really support firms and those regions and sectors that have been hardest hit by the COVID-19 outbreak. And, you know, this prompt targeted response has boosted the equity market confidence and it has been one of the factors that has led to the Chinese equity market being relatively resilient during this period. Something else to take into account with regards to China's policy response is that unlike major developed market economies, um, we have not yet seen major demand side fiscal stimulus. However, with supply now normalizing, as I've alluded to, and restrictions on production and travel gradually being lifted, going forward, fiscal policy is likely to be the main policy tool used in order to restore demand to normal levels. And a fiscal package is expected to be announced in the first half of May. Thank you. Going back to central banks, the major central banks have indeed been key to the recovery and market confidence, as you suggested there in China. Could you remind us of the scale of recent support from the US Federal Reserve, Nathan? Sure. Uh, so, Lorna, if we think about the scale of the level of support from the Fed, it's it's really been unprecedented, and you know it's kind of difficult to put into perspective, as there are so many programs being put in place to support the marketing and economy. Uh, but just to give you a sense of the scale, if we think about the Fed's balance sheet, and if we look at that balance sheet as at the beginning of the year, the balance sheet was four trillion at the start of the year. It's now over 6.5 trillion in size. So, you know, if we think about the swift action by the Fed, it has definitely helped to ease concerns for the market. You know, so the Fed is buying back US debt, so about 2.5 trillion in debt in exchange for cash dollars. And these moves could certainly be characterized as risk asset friendly. Alex, after an early misstep from Christine Lagarde, the European Central Bank is now following the Fed's suit. Sure. So they've, they've kind of repeated their vocative statement uh, of whatever it takes from um, obviously a few years ago. I think with any kind of institution like the EU, you're always going to get a bit of a, a delay to the overall package. But what they've done following that has, has been you know, of a similar nature to the rest of the, the global banks around the world. So um, key thing being that they've extended the range of their uh, bond purchases of 750 billion to be firstly larger and also more extensive in terms of what they cover. Um, so they're going into riskier asset classes that they haven't done before. They're including companies that they haven't done before. Um, the overall package is, is obviously significantly larger, but as you said, there was a slight delay in, in that happening in the first place. So Sheldon, is it this huge surge of liquidity that is actually feeding the rally in risk assets? Well, of course, the direct buying that governments have been doing around the world, direct buying of bonds and in some cases even equities, has supported both equity and bond markets. I think what's more important has been both the speed and the scale of the response that we've seen from central banks. And this initially gave investors confidence to, I guess, stop selling markets, gave them pause for thought and to give them a chance to consider the valuations. I think investors have recognized that authorities are willing to do whatever it takes. And that means investors are willing to look beyond uh, the short-term pain that we'll be seeing with the, uh, uh, the recession. 
in terms of uh, separating out whether it's liquidity or simply sentiment that's driving bond markets in general, uh, it's always a difficult one. I think, I guess it's a combination of both. If we move on to government bond markets, what about the supply and demand position here, Jen? If we could look specifically at the UK gilts market as an example. Sure, there's been a massive demand for gilts and other relative safe haven assets. So when coronavirus started to spread to Europe, the 10-year gilt yield fell to a new low. Now, we did see a bit of a rise, i.e. prices fell mid-March on concerns that global governments and central banks weren't doing enough to fight the economic impact of coronavirus. Now, this led to the Bank of England promptly cutting interest rates yet again, down to just 10 basis points, and announcing more QE. Actually, the UK has been pretty quick to act, at least from a stimulus perspective. So the central bank has been um, buying bonds again. There will also be huge issuance of bonds required to fund these government spending programmes. Yes, there could be over £200 of additional borrowing this year, most of it coronavirus-related. So to fund this, the Debt Management Office will be holding more guilt auctions. For starters, it targeted a raise of £45 billion in April, which is more than was raised in any month of the 2008 financial crisis. To put this into context, the monthly range for last year was £8 to £15 billion pounds worth of gilts. Now it's £45 billion. Uh, so just on Jen's point uh, about uh, government spending, you know, government spending is obviously increasing around the globe. And the big question people are asking is, how is this going to be funded? But I think what we have to remember is that interest rates are so low that the burden of, you know, covering these interest rate payments from the outstanding debt is not that onerous for governments in this current environment. And staying with you then, Nathan, this huge levels of fiscal stimulus in the US, are we yet seeing any positive impact from this? Well, I think, you know, the the impact is pretty obvious within the market. You've seen some strong rebounds globally. Um, I think it's hard for the market to ignore the level of stimulus that's being provided. So if we take the US as an example, this is bigger than anything that we've seen in history. We've had the US government has enacted another $484 billion of fiscal measures to counter the economic consequences of COVID-19 last week. So if we kind of put that all together, it equates to about 2.5 trillion, which is equal to about 12% of US GDP in fiscal stimulus. Now, if we compare this with other regions, such as Europe, you know, that 12% uh, is equal to, you know, Europe standing at uh, close to 3%. Um, Japan is about 4%. And I think China is moving up towards 6% of GDP. So it just shows you that the US is definitely doing a lot more to support the economy. And it's actually expected they do more in terms of fiscal stimulus, because Congress is actually coming back together in May. So we expect to see that figure moving up to 20%. That's the number which is being banded about. So the unprecedented nature of this monetary and fiscal support is definitely driving equity markets up. Uh, but I think from here, the focus will definitely be on earnings, you know, the kind of fallout of the shutdown. What does that mean for company profits? Indeed. But has there been any concrete impact on the real economy? Well, it's, you know, you're not going to see that in any of the hard data yet because all the hard data is still falling from uh, shutdown. 
Um, so I think it's definitely hard to measure that with uh, some of those economic indicators. If you look at high frequency indicators, which measure, you know, kind of activity at a quicker rate, I think you really have to look to Asia to see kind of improvements in that data from the um, obviously switching on of the economy. But I think, you know, the market is fully aware that the data is going to be horrendous over the course of the next month or so, and that we will see a gradual improvement. But what they're pinning their hopes on is the fact that the level of stimulus being put in place will provide a, a bridging uh, gap, you know, over that period, essentially. And in other areas of the world, have we seen any concrete signs of improvement or is it too early to say? For Europe, it's too early to tell. The data that we're getting through still got the massive hangover of, of the, the shutdown that we've seen. Um, the kind of PMI, industrial production, factory data that we're getting through is all weak and weaker than expectations as well. So there continues to be um, almost this hopefulness from the market, I think, that things are going to improve from the bottom. But we haven't seen that come through in any of the data so far. Jen, any positive signs from the UK or just too early to tell? No, there's nothing in the UK either. I mean, PMIs fell from 34 in March to just 12 in April. Now, this is much lower than the previous recession. Also, employment rise further. It's currently 4% at the moment, but I'm expecting it to go a lot further than this. Thanks, Jen. If we can turn to you now, Mayank. Sheldon mentioned earlier that the oil price has been swinging wildly over recent weeks. Is this telling a fundamentally different story about expectations for recovery by way of the future demand for oil? No, I think it's 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 kind of pointing to the same picture that we're seeing in in hard data, so in the GDP numbers, in industrial production numbers, that there there has been a material decline in demand um, year over year and in the first quarter, and it's expected to remain weak over the over the rest of the year at least. Um, you know what we're seeing in equity markets is is slightly different because equity markets have been boosted by what the Fed has done and what other central banks have done in terms of providing liquidity, and equity markets have begun to price uh, you know a discount sort of future improvements uh, in the data maybe six six to twelve months out, but with oil and with some of the um, you know economic data. Um, you know, it's 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 consistent with it's consistent with the weakness that we're seeing elsewhere. Staying with you, then, Mike, could you outline any recent changes to our tactical asset allocation in the light of these market moves that we've seen? No change really from uh, from from the last time we spoke. So we remain underweight or moderately underweight equity risk. Um, you know, we believe that markets have uh, you know enjoyed the liquidity injection that's been given by various central banks, and now valuations are for us are particularly high. And if you look at, you know, forward PE ratios at 20 times, um, you know, that is higher than, than, than what we saw at the end of 2019. The, the other aspect is the, you know, in terms of looking at new incremental catalysts, um, obviously the recent run in markets has been filled by central banks, but incrementally they, they you know, the expectation is we can, we can see them being supportive, but you know, increasing another two trillion, for example, in terms of the size of the balance sheet, that, that seems unlikely. The only new catalyst we can see, which could help equity markets rally a bit further, is you know improvements, uh, improvements in um, or, or expectations of uh, a a drug coming through. Um, and you know there's been some positive developments, but nothing as of yet. And also the 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 time horizon or duration um, for a new drug to be approved is expected to be um, you know a lot further down the line. So let's say it's six to twelve months out. So in that with that backdrop, and you know given the earnings uh, have along with you know the growth being materially downgraded, we, we feel 
moderate underweight seems to be seems to be the right place for now. And what would prompt you to make further changes from here? I think if there is, you know, if there is a correction in the market, let's say there's a 10% correction, um, you know, we can uh, we can reevaluate uh, our stance and, and and look to go more neutral within equities. Um, you know, there are there are certainly positives. So you know, outside the central bank, um, I would say a lot, lot of the economies have have hit their sort of peak. Uh, mortality rates and we're seeing improvements. Also, the hospital capacities uh, to deal with the virus has improved um, from 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 the last uh, couple of months. There is uh, you know reopening uh, in various economies, which is which is happening, and and the market is market is reflecting all of this. And you know for us, it's kind of pricing the V-shaped recovery. Um, you know, so we do acknowledge the positives, but. We think the market's probably run too hard, too too fast. So, if there is a let's say a ten percent pullback in markets, uh, given the backdrop of positives that I've just talked about, you know, it could be it could be a catalyst for us to go neutral. Thank you very much for that, Sheldon. Could I ask you to summarise our discussion today? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, markets have reacted pretty strongly, pretty positively to the measures that we've seen from governments, and it's clear that government support will help boost economies, uh, but it's still obviously very early days. We're not, we haven't seen the full extent of the, the impact of the coronavirus and the, the lockdowns, um, the impact on economies and on company earnings. So although the government support will help boost economies eventually, there are still question marks, I guess, about the real impact of it. And also question marks about how governments will eventually pay for it. So the massive scale of government borrowing that will be required, uh, will we see higher taxes coming forward? Will that dampen economies? So definitely still question marks. At the moment, the markets have, as I said, responded quite well in the short term. But I think we're not out of the woods yet. And probably further bouts of volatility are likely. In that sort of environment, um, market timing is certainly difficult, if not dangerous, uh, certainly in the short term. And so we think staying diversified and maintaining a long-term view is the best course. Thank you all very much indeed. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you.